incoming transmission. The Klingonese word of the day is wolf. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. He is one-third of Cinema Shock, and every week he works with the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, backstage, interviewing stars, asking questions, and hating time travel. It's Gary Horn! Yay! Gary! Hey, buddy! Hey! Hey! It's so good to be here. <laughs> I've been on this back. ship before. Yeah. <laughs> How you been, man? It's been, uh, gosh, it's been a while since you've been on the show. How's how, how how's life? How are things in the NWA? Oh, brother, I am keeping it cool like a koozie. I am. <laughs> uh, everything is good. I I, uh, I I just assumed you didn't want to be friends anymore. You never you never <laughs> call. You never write. You never have me on your show. So uh, happy to be here on this starship. Listen, I assumed that you were rubbing elbows with uh, Billy Corrigan, uh, Mick Foley, all all the ladies of the NWA, all the fellas of the NWA. So <laughs> it was like, I'm glad you yeah. added fellas in there in case my wife listens. So <laughs> let's be honest, your wife, my wife, they are never going to hear this. <laughs> unless yeah, that's true. Unless they're standing at the door. <laughs> I'm not rubbing anything involving the ladies of the NWA. That is a lawsuit. <laughs> it should be noted. Gary Horn does not does not make physical contact with any of the stars of the NWA. <laughs> Do not touch them. <laughs> Do not touch them. That's very true. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so maybe since you're since you're involved with that, you can tell me why Crimson won't return my phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I've heard Crimson has a job that gets like real, like almost secret agent-y sounding. So I, uh, it may be that. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen him myself in, uh, months and months. So I don't know. Yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, texting back and forth with him, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Tom Latimer, who I, I, every time I see him online, he seems to be holding a different belt. Is he, is he a belt holder currently? He is. He is the NWA World Television Champion. I thought he was the TV champ. Okay, cool, cool, good for him. Uh, yeah, and just oh, just built like just built like a a cement truck. The dude is just jacked. He's uh... if if you were playing like a wrestling video game, he would be what your create a player looks like. Yeah, he, he's just like a comic book artist molded him or something it is yeah. ridiculous <laughs> so he's so in shape it's it's inspiring and and i i just want to touch him every time I yeah. see him. but like i said i don't touch yeah. it, uh here we should note again that gary horn does not touch the <laughs> stars of the nwa <laughs> but but the nicest guy the absolutely nicest guy in fact um oh, he's 
He's an absolute yeah. sweetheart. Yeah. Um, I was talking with him and said, and I, you know, cause I threw it out there to him. I was like, Hey, if you ever want to come on the, want to come on the show and talk Trek, he's just like, Oh brother, I'm, you know, I would absolutely love to, but I'm not a star Trek fan. I was like, that's okay. If you know anybody, yeah, and this, you know, the same spiel I give to everybody. If you know anybody that's a big star Trek fan, send him my way. And he popped right back of just like, Hey, you should talk to Crimson. Like Crimson's a big star Trek guy. So I was like, okay. So I dropped him a note. I didn't hear from him for a while. And, um, and then I saw he posted a picture of his, um, Khan Noonien Singh and Kirk action figures. I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I commented, it was just kind of like, oh, how, so how do you feel about Montalban versus Cumberbatch? And we got into a big discussion about, uh, you know, Montal, uh, Ricardo Montalban versus Benedict Cumberbatch in the role of Khan. So let me ask you, Gary Horn. Who is your Khan Noonien Singh? And and be prepared to defend yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it would be Montalban because I can't tell you that I I don't think I've actually watched the second Star Trek since really? the theater. I think oh, I saw wow. it a few times in theaters, and I never watched it again. Not because I hated it, like a lot of people act like they do, uh, but I just I don't know. I just haven't. I get weird about Star Trek when I start watching it again, like uh, mm. the wife and I started, like I got her to go through the movies with me. Oh, right. So we started nice. at one and we watched all of the movies. We got all, we got to JJ's and stopped for some reason. I, we never watched them and I don't mm. know why she loves Chris Pine and, uh, and uh, the guy who plays Spock. I can't think of his name right now, but uh, Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Quinto. She loves Quinto. Uh, so we just, we, we just didn't watch them for some reason. And so, yeah, I have only seen the Benedict Cumberbatch years ago. However long it's been since those movie that movie came out. I think, I think what we settled on, uh, be, the debate between, uh, me and Crimson was that, uh, Cumberbatch is more intimidating, but Montalban is more iconic. And I don't know if that's an issue of time or just because, that film was so highly revered or what, but it's just, it's, you know, he's got the delivery, you know, I'll leave you buried a lot. Yeah. He goes for it. Yeah. In, uh, Star Trek two. And, and so <laughs> you gotta love that, but in the same way that you love Kirk. So it was like the perfect rivalry, these two guys chewing scenery and they, uh, and uh, I don't know. It's weird because, uh, I could see that. I could see Benedict Cumberbatch being like he's got the size on him that uh but I mean Montalban was pretty ripped. Yeah, Montalban was pretty ripped, but like Cumberbatch is like tall. Like he's I was going to say he's like a... he's a big he's a big guy. He's a, it, it he looks smaller on screen, but like he's he's a big dude. <laughs> no, I'd buy him as like a guy who's like 6'2 or 3 at least and like Montalban seems like the guy who's ripped, but he's probably like 5'7" and yeah and, and i don't yeah. know that for a fact but i just <laughs> i'm just saying uh yeah, yeah you know who's a big star trek fan and i hesitate to say this because i cannot at all guarantee or promise anything ever <laughs> of but course mr william patrick corgan is a huge star trek fan are you serious yeah oh yeah half the time he's walking around backstage at nwa with like a star trek hat on he has like a blue baseball cap with like it's like the spock shirt color the scientist color it's got the the logo yeah. everything he loves star trek are are you screwing with me right now <laughs> i'm not no no i'm really not <laughs> screwing with you but that's what i'm saying i can't promise you dude that guy is 
hard to pin down, but uh, he does he does like Trek. Wow, uh, you know, hell, couldn't hurt to ask. I'll I'll do yeah. like I do with everybody else. I'll shoot him a message and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you'd be you'd do better with him. Uh, probably just trying to talk to him about Trek, not trying to pin him down for like a singular episode. I'm sure he doesn't. He's gonna be like, I don't have time to watch like one episode and no, the context it, of it. But that well, he that's would, the, he would talk it. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, the, my show has kind of evolved. I mean, we're over. This is episode one one ten. Yeah, this is episode one ten, which is kind of weird to think about. But over you know over a hundred episodes, I've kind of evolved to do like we're we're still do we still do like the general the general format of covering the franchise in chronological order, yada, yada, yada. But it's kind of evolved to, or we could play a game, or we could do a career retrospective, or we could just geek out in general. You know, it's, I, because I, I, I want this to be a safe place for anyone who considers themselves a trekker to just talk trek in whatever capacity they feel comfortable with to the extent that they feel comfortable with. So yeah, uh, I may just uh, may just shoot him a little note and just say, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, just I may just I don't know." I'll I'll, I'll, fig- I'll no, figure you're, you're right. <laughs> it can't hurt to ask. I've been told that a hundred times by a hundred different people. If you don't ask, you don't know, and yeah. that's the only way you you're for sure not going to succeed is by not asking. Listen. Billy Corgan will not be the first person to turn me down or give or or give me silence. <laughs> I've I've been turned down by a lot of people. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Billy Corgan. There's just the thing with him is is, uh, and I'm sure this is the same with lots of uh, people who do arena shows around the country and world. Uh, is that you know I've had some great conversations with Billy Corgan, and then every time I see him, I feel like he doesn't remember who I am. Yeah, <laughs> and I work for him. <laughs> so, oh, it's a, not like a bad way. That's not me talking trash about Billy Corgan. He's a super good guy. It just uh, he just, just he's so busy. Like yeah. I'll have a conversation with him one day, and then I have to if I ask him something about that same conversation the next day, he's like, "Can you please tell me what we talked about again?" Yeah, <laughs> and, I'm sorry. What now? <laughs> it's yeah. J- it's Jerry, right? Please tell me he's done that to you at least once. <laughs> I think he doesn't know my name. Finally, <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> after working for him for how long? He he does yeah. know my name, <laughs> right? But it's when he says it, he points at you and kind of cocks his head sideways, like Gary. <laughs> yeah, Gary. I'm. I know that I know you from somewhere. Do I pay you? I... <laughs> Are you on my payroll? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so you know, getting back into uh, Star Trek here, I know you. You're a big Star Trek fan. Just you know, you said just a few minutes ago. So these episodes of Discovery are not new territory for you, but it's probably when you watch this for the show today is probably your second viewing. Uh, Did you recall watching this before? And did, you know, did your thoughts, feelings change or did they resurface? You know, what were your thoughts um, about this episode, Light and Shadows? Um, I'm going to be... Uh, honest here i don't think i remembered much about the specific episode mm-hmm. i remembered uh the the karate fight in the hallway like i think i remembered that you know that's a good, that's a good fight <laughs> i remembered like the context we were in you know like i remembered 
the search for Spock, uh, the prequel to the search for Spock, the right. first search this, for Spock. Yeah, this is the first search for Spock. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I don't think I remembered like anything specific about the episode, so it was kind of watching it brand new almost. Yeah, it. I mean, because you know, I watched them as they came out, and then you know, I watched them going back in preparation for the show. And I feel like I'm picking up more and, but you're absolutely right. Like remembering the details, this might be one of the drawbacks of a serialized sci-fi adventure, as opposed to the episodic structure like TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager and all that, where because you've got one storyline going throughout, you know, this is kind of, we're in the search for Spock portion of it now, but soon we're going to transition into more of the red angel the the red angel mystery and yeah be, because that is the overarching theme it's kind of hard to pinpoint a specific uh you know a specific episode and the plot contained within like to this point including this episode so far in star trek discovery we've had one bottle episode just the one and that was with Harry Mudd jumping back and forth in time and doing the time loop thing, um, which is a great episode. But, you know, when it's serialized, it's hard to just sit down and watch a singular episode. You kind of have to start at the beginning and work your way through. But, uh, you know, which do you prefer? Do you I mean, you know, being a big Star Trek fan, do you like the episodic? Do you like the serialized? Is it a mix of both? It's weird, you know, as you were saying that I was I was trying to think of how I felt about that, because one thing I would add to what you're saying is in the world we're in today with as much content as they're in. I remember a point in my life. So I probably I'm sure that I've told this before, but like I remember watching the original series with my mom, like mm. growing up. Yeah. And then there was a station on our satellite. Uh, the backwoods of South Georgia, the swamp that like, for some reason, the satellite every morning before I went to school was playing an episode of the original series. And nice. I would watch that with her then. So, but you know, we're old. And back then there wasn't nearly as much to take your attention. I rewatched the movie. We had the movies on VHS. I watched the, the movies so many freaking times. I could tell you, most details about all those movies and that's just not how it is anymore i worry for like you know it's the same with like music with like when we had to put a cd in instead of spotify just playing whatever and there's a million albums coming out every week right. uh it's it's tough it's tough for people to remember so on one hand uh i could see how it would be troublesome because like people can't just jump in on an episode it makes it tougher to do that but mm. also maybe the story as a whole can make it more memorable that people want to come back and watch it as a movie basically or something. Right. You know, I was, you know, I just came back from Trek Fest and a lot of people um, are big fans of Picard season three. I mean, it's, you know, it's a love letter to Trek, but I, you know, quick to point out that it watches like a 10 hour movie. It truly, especially episode nine and 10, which they released into theaters, very few theaters around the country. But I kind of wish that they had pushed that a little bit more and got them into a few more theaters because episode nine and 10, the, you know, those two, those last two episodes of that season are truly meant to be viewed back to back. 
because if you don't, episode nine ends and then episode 10 is kind of the aftermath. So as a standalone episode, it's a little disappointing, but it's meant to be coupled with episode nine. I just kind of wish that they had, I, I shouldn't say that they should have thought it through a little bit more because Terry Metallus clearly thought a lot of things through <laughs> as did Paramount, as did the cast. Like that was very, very well planned and very well executed, but I kind of wish for the enjoyment of the fans that they had said, you know what, let's get it into just a few more theaters. You know, let's push it just a little bit more. Um, but you know, it's tough. Yeah. yeah Cause it's a tough call. I mean, there's like, there's, there's like strange new worlds, which I know at least, uh, you know, tries to get a few little episodic kind of things in there and, uh, yeah. like self-contained stories. Cause I, I think as the Star Trek fan, you probably missed that a little bit. Like this doesn't need to be like some huge overarching story. I just need to see like them deal with these creatures on a planet, you know, sometimes, but I think for people today, going back to something like uh the og series or god help them like the next generation which has so many uh you know like that's probably overwhelming to have like this many episodes that i feel like i can see people younger being like what is the point like you know like what is <laughs> where is this going and and is so, data trying I to know. Learn, I don't know what the balance is, is. Is is data trying to learn stand-up comedy from Joe Piscopo? <laughs> is that this episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, there's a lot of, you know, well, I mean, that's the landscape of of television, you know, cuz back then, you know, 22, 24, 25, 26 episodes a season, you know, streaming services changed all of that. And, you know, a lot of I feel like a little bit of that influence also came from overseas because the wife and I are uh, working our way through uh, Doctor Who again, the new stuff before the uh, before the 60th anniversary. And yeah, 10, 12 episodes a season and that's it. And we move on. And it's like, man, they they kind of had they kind of had a good thing going there. And I feel like when the streaming services jumped on, it's like, you know what? especially there in the beginning where it was kind of like, all right, we're starting this new thing. It's called streaming. <laughs> so we're going to do our own TV series. We don't have the big budgets like the major networks, but if you guys want to tell a really tight story, six to 10, maybe 12 episodes, we can do this. We can make this happen. And I feel like the influence from, you know, some of the cable networks where they were producing shows like, Breaking Bad and The Shield, um, you know, and stuff like that in that era, you know, which those those types of shows, while they are kind of episodic, they are still very serialized. So there's not a lot of fluff going on like th those are those are plot heavy episodes through those series. And I feel like they were able to find a nice medium between serialization, uh, you know, British structure and like the mini series type thing. And we're able to combine it into what we now have. But anyways, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. Well, no, no, you're, you're saying all that. And I, and I don't mean to like dive into it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because I've watched deep space nine through like once, mm. but I think Cisco's amazing. Mm. And if you asked me why Cisco's amazing, I could be like, cause it's cause he is, but I, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I don't know how many seasons of Deep Space Nine there were, but I know that he made some great calls throughout, you know, and I know the, it's weird because I know the the story of Cisco, like how mm. it kind of goes. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, but specific like episodes, like all those in between, I don't know that I remember them all. And I, I definitely don't remember them all. And uh, so it was his overarching story that mattered the most, I guess. But I think also I care about him because of the little adventures in between, too. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. You know, when I look at, him. and, you know, looking at, I, again, I hate to keep reference, referencing it, but like just came back from Trek Fest where I met all kinds of Trekkers and so many of them are all about a show. But if you really start to talk about them, uh, talk to them, they're about one singular character. And, it, you know, and it, of course, it varies from person to person, but they kind of have this they have found this ground, this relatability that they really latch onto, and usually some part of it is mirrored in this in this person's own personality. And I, you know, trying to keep myself uh, unbiased, I suppose, uh, you know, in favor of this show, I do still have my favorites from childhood, but, you know, moving forward, I'm looking at the merits of every character. And a lot of things are being revealed as I go along, like looking at Benjamin Sisko, he is current. He is uh, continuously fascinating me because he is a blue collar guy who lost his wife trying to raise their son is put in a position to answer to, uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard, who he feels is directly responsible for the death of his wife. Um, but then he's put in this position, in this position with the Bajorans where they see him as this religious figure, as this religious icon. And so I'm, I'm starting to formulate a, a, you know, I've, I've referred to Cisco as the father in terms of archetypes, uh, you know, quite literally to Jake Cisco, but he is kind of this fatherly religious figure to the Bajorans, although seemingly unwitting unwillingly <laughs> at yeah. times but it's it's interesting and i think i think that's one of the you know just because i was raised on picard you know and you know with everything with the picard series i feel like i've got a really good idea of who picard is and i really loved voyager and voyager is still such a self-contained thing in and of itself but Benjamin Sisko in Deep Space Nine, I think there's a lot more to that onion that needs to be peeled for myself, you know, to really dive in and really learn more about him. And I'm that's one of the things I'm really excited to get to down the road, obviously, <laughs> because I mean, I've always been weird about the the favorite captain thing. Like, yeah, I get it. And if yeah. I if I have to pick, I usually say Kirk just because Kirk is the one that I bonded with my mom over i watched so much when i was young of course i i did see those episodes i did see those movies over and over again i love william shatner and captain kirk like i i just i just do but it's always a weird question for me because i'm like i also really respect patrick stewart as jean-luc picard like i yeah. really love him and at watching new space nine i'm like benjamin cisco's great I did the same thing with Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was like, they're all good. They're all really solid people. You know what? You don't get to be a starship captain if you're a piece of trash. So. That's true. <laughs> and, you know, even looking back to, you know, as much grief as Enterprise catches, uh, still to this day, even 20 years after the fact, I think there really is some interesting uh, things to be observed and analyzed, even with Captain Archer. 
God looking, bless them. They grew on me too. They, yeah, they yeah. even over time with their song. <laughs> it it's is been a long road. <laughs> you singing your parody of Faith of the Heart is one of my. When I go to edit these episodes, it is my favorite part of putting that together. Just like, oh, I get to hear Gary sing. Here it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, even looking at Archer, who. You know, they kind of reference him as a cowboy, just kind of running it. It was the Wild West. There was no prime directive. The ship is basically a step up from a submarine. You know, they were able to do things that were in sort of a gray area. And then in the Zindi War, it got even more so where he was tossing people into airlocks and being like, ah, he'll be good for another 10 seconds. Like, (laughs) what's happening here? But yeah, you know, and then we get to someone Star like Star Trek's Captain- not unlike the real world, Todd. I mean, I, That's I true. will say this, right? You know, it's it's. I don't, I don't want to be like uh, this is not a conversation to dive deep into, but we're all standing on the shoulders of giants a little bit. We want to pretend like we're twenty feet tall sometimes, and <laughs> no, you learn from the generations past, and a lot of those generations sound like the worst f- <laughs> people, and I'm sure to. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the F-bomb. I apologize. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure to Patrick Stewart, or I'm sorry, Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Archer seems like a caveman (laughs) and ridiculous. (laughs) But without Captain Archer, there's no Captain Kirk. And I'm sure that Patrick Stewart went through school learning about all the Enterprise captains, including those guys. (laughs) And, you know, and so it's it's part of it it's just you know they they get better and better because their their foundations get stronger and stronger yeah you know and looking at those especially those early captains and you know the one that sticks out to me uh not only because we're talking about uh him a little bit today but also because he has really come into uh the forefront of most trekkers conscious is captain pike uh, played by Anson Mount, of course, originally played by Jeffrey Hunter. Uh, what are your thoughts about Captain Pike, especially coming into Discovery Season 2? Now, I know we're getting towards the end here, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, since we've been covering Season 2. Um, you know, with with Season 1 of Discovery being so dark, starting with a mutiny and then going to the Mirror Universe and, you know, the Doctor getting his neck broken, like, Season 1 is dark dark but then we get this scene in season two episode one of pike's record up on the main view screen and he says no let's take a look and they go through all of it and he goes listen i know you guys have been through an ordeal and i feel like he's talking to the audience here i feel like the folks in the writer's room were like hey you know what season one's really dark we need to kind of shift gears here And I feel like that speech from Pike to the bridge officers was really meant from the writing room to the audience where they go, hey, listen, I know you guys have been through an ordeal. Let me assure you, I'm not Lorca. And there was a noticeable tone shift from season one to season two. What do you think of Pike in Discovery and the tonal shift from the seasons? Uh, Pike, I... I was going to mention this anyway, and I can't believe I haven't brought him up already because uh, Pike, Anson Mount, that guy, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he could possibly be the coolest, you know, like you could make an argument for 
for Pike being the coolest. Like he is everything. And you know yeah. what it's great about him too? It's like all the all the crap you could give about Kirk being the way that he is, hot-headed or a ladies man, like a, a different kind of masculinity than like a Picard. Although Picard had his too, but the uh there is something about Anson Mount, the way he plays Pike, that like he is cool. He is just direct and just calm and he's got it together. He is what a starship captain should look like and be, but also not like in the overbearing like way that Kirk could be sometimes. Like he's a very emotional person. He's uh philosophical thinking. I mean, Kirk, Kirk could do that too sometimes, but I don't know. There's something about there's a vulnerability that Pike has yeah. that is really great too. And you especially start seeing it. It's going to happen here and going forward that, you know, what his future looks like, what uh-huh. he's going to have to deal with. Like there's yeah. a, there's a guy who's deep, like that is a, it's, it's beautiful. Just like open-minded and, and, and just, but also very assured, like makes decisions when he needs to make decisions. Like he, he's, he's, I, he might be perfect. I don't know. You know, he strikes me as very much, he's got a little bit of that piratey Kirkness, but also with the, you know, with the very much uh, adherence to the rules and finding that specific wiggle room within, you know, Starfleet regulations when he has to. But the one thing that really sticks out to me, and you and I can both attest to this, having had multiple uh parties at our respective homes where do people gather the most at those parties in the kitchen where does pike yeah. like where does pike like to talk with his senior officers in his kitchen while he's making them breakfast burritos and all of this stuff if there's something about the kitchen that is very medicinal very safe space like how, how do you feel about this thing about you know, Kirk, Kirk was very much in the chair most of the time, more often than not. Yeah. Picard was in his ready room or in the conference room, you know, looking out a window, reading a book, looking at his fish, sipping tea. But then we've got Pike here who is, you know, doing eggs or here, here's some leftover spaghetti that, you know, you, you put it back in the pan, crack an egg over it, mix it up. And it's just as good. Or, you know, and you know, him connecting with his senior officers that way, like over food, you know, connecting over food. Uh, how do you feel about not only Pike doing this, but have you seen this in your own life? Have you, you know, is Connecting with someone over drinks, over coffee, over, hey, let's go to lunch or, hey, we should, you know, we should get the spouses and I'll go to dinner sometime. Or, you know, have you seen this type of thing pop up in your own life? And how do you feel about it? There, No, it's it's so funny. You're like talking about it. And, and this is just, uh, I mean, as a uh, you're, you're asking about my personal life. So, yeah, uh, I would say like if I could relate it to an NWA thing, like just being in the back, like. I was literally, as you were talking about this, uh, you're, you're really great at, at describing these things and making me think about them. Uh, the, like a Billy Corgan would be, I hope he never listens to this, but he, he would probably take this as a compliment. He's like the Patrick Stewart. Like, I feel like he is 
there's this thing that's sort of untouchable about him always. Like it mm. feels like he's like, oh, he's on another plane of like, he's cool. He'll talk to you. He's like, but there's a, there's a different, there's something else. And he's like over, he's like looking at the whole huge picture and he's just trying to dictate things there. And he's passing off things to the people below him to like get things done. And like, he's relying on his crew to make things happen. And, um, Anyway, uh, there's a guy who works for the NWA. He is the director of talent relations. He is mm. the vice president, basically. He's uh, Pat Kenny, who's mm. a former professional wrestler. He wrestled under the name Simon Diamond. He was in ECW. He was in like extreme wrestling. Like he's wrestled a lot of the people that names you would know. Like he's done all that, but he's he moved on and had kind of gotten out of the business. But then was brought in by Billy to he makes relationships with the talent he kind of helps formulate the contracts he helps kind of see everything for billy he's like the number one basically uh yeah in that relationship but that same kind of thing when we would have meetings for the nwa so weird we're talking about this he was always cooking something <laughs> he was always like in the kitchen like on zoom like carrying his phone around and setting it in front of his stove while he does something. And he's just like telling you what he thinks or like, well, let me tell you a story about the business. Once I knew this guy that, but you know, and he would like tell you some story that would relate to a situation that was happening. And you'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay. That I see what you did. Okay. That makes sense. You know, he's really good at that. He also even has the salt and pepper hair thing going on for him that's kind of in the same style so now i'm like now i'm seeing him and i'm like that guy is captain pike that is so weird <laughs> if he did if if we don't around halloween man if we don't see him in a in a gold jersey i'm gonna be disappointed this this all this all it comes down to you gary can you get him to do some captain pike cosplay for halloween yeah i i i i need to talk to him about that but like even in this most recent trip i was at like at the same time he comes out and you know when the other wrestlers are out there he could sit and he could sit in the the studio and or the uh production area and watch it on a monitor but he goes out and sits outside and he wants to watch it up close and it's not like i i've had the opportunity to sit next to him you know and he just sits there with his legs crossed and watches it and he'll lean over and say you know what they should have done there they should have done this like <laughs> this would have worked this is how you draw the crowd in or, you know, or even, you know, like, hey, watch him, watch him here. He's going to go around here and he's going to do this thing and watch how the fans react. I can see it coming. Watch. And then this thing he describes will happen. And it's just like, uh, it's so cool. He like knows all this stuff. But anyway, I, I, I could ramble on about him forever. But I totally, as you were talking, I was like, that guy is totally that guy. Uh, because because Pike is the guy who he is in this place where he is the captain, obviously he deserves to be a captain. You treat him with respect, like a captain, but there's yeah. something still about him that you can see. He's been in the trenches before too. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who will look at a Kirk later and be like where everybody else might write that guy off that he would be like, no, there's just give him a chance here. There's yeah. something else, you know, like there's a spark here. We can, we can work on, you know, and get yeah. to that next level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking at that thing, you know, being able to pick that out of somebody, I feel like is a level of trust. Now, before we get too much further into this, I do kind of want to hit this a little bit. We see 
Pike, who knows that Burnham has something up her sleeve, but trusts her. I feel like with the wrestling community, you know, whether it's in the ring, whether it's backstage, whether it's in front of a camera on a promo or even in social media, feel like there's a level of trust and maybe trust juxtaposed with respect. Like there, there's that, there's that, those two things I feel go hand in hand. Can you speak to the level of trust involved in wrestling, especially when we're looking at characters like Captain Pike trusting Burnham to go back to Vulcan and do whatever it is she's going to do? Can you speak about the level of trust? In professional wrestling, uh, if we're going to go really inside baseball, uh, there are the people that wrestle in the ring, mm. the talent, who deserve respect too, and they they they're the guys that will appreciate a person like Pat, who I talked about, because he's also done it. There is this thing in wrestling that there is this like, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you dealt with what I've dealt with? What what I've dealt with? You know, do you see how this looks for me if I go do this thing? Like, can you know, like that sort of thing? Like, they know Pat has. There is a respect and a trust in him to do that. Now, at the same time, there are people. So again, you got the owner of the company, Billy Corgan sitting up here and, and he'll talk to you. It's not that he won't talk to you. He'll try to explain his overall vision for you, but the execution he relies on these other people to like make right. it happen. And so even though then Pat, like say there's a night, there's going to be, I don't know, 12, 15 matches in a night or something that are going to happen, Pat can't see all of that. So then the next level down, you have agents. And agents are typically, at least in our field, and I think in a lot of companies, uh, they're also professional wrestlers that have been there and done that. They're wise to the business. They know how it works, because I don't want to spoil anything for everybody, but it's predetermined. So they... Uh... Hold on! <laughs> Wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> so the, the agents... We'll get there. And, and Pat has this great job of like, I've been in the production meetings where he makes it very clear to the agents. Like, listen, you're here because I want you here. And I trust you to take this to the next level. We're going to give you, this is the way the story goes. We'll let you figure out with the talent how to get there. And so it's like, this is, it's basically like this person by the end of this match needs to have successfully done this or right. implied this or done something, you know, like there's, because this is part of a bigger story. Mm. So I need you to get them there. How do they get there? You, you guys work together, figure that out. The agents will usually go to the talent and be like, you've got this guy tonight. You guys are fighting or you and this girl are going tonight. And this is what's happening. What do you want to do? And then the talent will try to put something together. So they let the NWA maybe even looser than other companies in that aspect. So the talent will try to figure something out. They'll go to the agent. And the agent says, I like that, but, or, you know, like maybe if you do it this way or tweak this one thing. And so they have to feel like it's easy to feel like you're all the same level as the talent. But then that's why, like in the production meetings, Pat will be like, you are our voice. They are to respect you as though it's coming from me, as though it's coming from Billy. And so 
I trust you to not make it dumb and to, to make it work. And they have to listen to you. If you think something sounds bad, tell them it sounds bad and make them do it. And he's like, and they have to, it's, and it's easier in all those aspects, all those levels, if they're these people that have been there before too. Mm. And so there is, there is this level of respect that like, because a wrestler, you know, they want to be tough. They can't win every match. Right. They have to, they have to not essentially they're trying uh, to put it in like uh, terms for like a regular show. They're trying not to get killed off here, but they're, you know, they're trying to keep their story going too, even if they're not the winner of the next match. And so there there's that thought. And so they want to know that somebody is appreciating that fact for them. It's like, okay, this guy's going to beat me. What happens to me? You know, like next, they're like, what, what is my story? Every, yeah. all the wrestlers get to think about their individual stories. And then it, like, you, you see how it goes up these levels. Anyway, I hope I'm not rambling too much about this. No, it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at my example of, you know, of Pike trusting Burnham, but it's so much more complicated than that because on the other side, you know, let, let's start at the top because that's where you started. So let's start at the top. You've got Starfleet up here and you've also got section 31 they're both trying to find spock so now you know with the representatives you know you've got the you know you've got starfleet dictating things to pike while you've got leland and georgio dictating things to tyler so tyler is now the representative you know there on the ship with pike you know kind of over his shoulder and pike has let him know like back off this is my ship <laughs> right but, right but then but then here at the end we've got burnham who's kind of taking from both sides now the, the one person who seems to stand out from that is Giorgio because she's not from this universe and, and we are going to get to the recap here in a minute folks but i'm having such a good time with this conversation i'm going to let it go um you know you've got Giorgio who has found a place in section 31, but at the same time, she still holds a level of, I hesitate to call it love, but it's definitely trust and maybe even respect for Burnham. So that's why she, she'll kind of circumvent all of it to go straight to Burnham. But anyways, you know, there's a lot of things going on between these characters and there's even, there's even storylines that we haven't even touched on yet, but Every, everyone is going through something in trying to accomplish this mission, this this first search for Spock. Uh, I think you, know, you nailed it. Like there's this overarching thing happening, yeah. but each of these guys, and it's it's funny, even when you get to Georgia and Pike, they're both like relaying down to Burnham. Yeah. We need this to get done. We're trusting you to make sure that happens. Yeah. Like, like Giorgio giving Giorgio giving her intel that she that you know section 31 probably has not cleared, but Pike is giving her the leeway to follow up. And that's kind yeah. of you know, you're seeing that trust and respect. But, anyways, there's a lot of people uh working this thing, and we've co- we've covered a lot of angles so far. But before we get too much further, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, and David Willett. 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly. Or she had plenty of time as she went down to wonder what was going to happen next. Shuttle 5 approaching the anomaly. I've lost them. Spock, it's me. Burnham walks with Pike, reviewing what they knew about Spock's connection to the Red Angel. Not much. With the Federation and Section 31 on the hunt as well, Burnham emphasizes the need to find him first and asks Pike's permission to return to Vulcan to meet with her foster parents, Sarek and Amanda. Pike grants her leave. Discovery's been ordered by Starfleet to remain on Kaminar to investigate the residual energy left behind by the Red Burst. On the bridge, Pike and Saru review the readings from the burst in orbit. They're the same as before. Tilly enters, excitably remarking that the readings can't be accurate, showing densities not seen outside of a supernova, which Tilly calls freaking amazing. Pike wonders at the type of tech, to which Tilly replies it might not have been invented yet. Saru launches a probe into the anomaly to determine its origin, but the tachyon levels are disrupting the scanners, so Pike orders Detmer to close in, and for Arium to aid Saru with the analysis. Tyler asks where Burnham is, to which Pike replies she's on personal leave. Tyler feels Pike owes him an explanation. Pike's like, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Alarms begin to sound. Comms and tactical are offline. Owosakun reports the systems seem to be caught in some sort of loop, which becomes certain as the previous exchange between Pike and Tyler repeats. <gasps> Pike orders full reverse, creating distance between themselves and the now-open space-time rift to restore normal functions. Pike instructs Saru to load a probe onto a space bus, which Pike will pilot close enough to launch. As a former test pilot, he knows the space buses better than anyone. In the turbo lift, Tyler tells Pike that he can keep him in the dark about Burnham, but not about the Red Angel. As the official liaison to Section 31, Pike has to deal with him. Pike asks about Valk, to which Tyler asks about knowing the war was over. Pike counters that his problem isn't with Klingons, but about the fact that Valk killed Culber. Tyler replies that he can't get rid of Valk, to which Pike sarcastically replies he knows how that feels. And on that note, we cue the music. lands her shuttle at Sarek's residence and is greeted by Amanda. Sarek sits in meditation nearby, and Amanda says he's been at it for hours. Burnham reminds her that the longer Spock's on the run, the harder it will be for him, a logic Amanda can't refute. Burnham emphasizes her love for her brother and her desire to protect him. Amanda replies that even if she knew, she wouldn't allow her son to be arrested for murders he didn't commit and flatly replies that she's not seen him. Burnham's not convinced. Meanwhile, In orbit over Kaminar, Space Bus 5 leaves Discovery with Pike and Tyler. 
Saru advises him not to fire the probe into the rift, and Pike acknowledges, his transmission echoing from the temporal distortions. Saru advises him to launch from his current position. Pike hears screaming behind him and witnesses a temporal echo where he shoots Tyler with his phaser. Tyler, who didn't see it, asks if something was wrong. Pike instructs him to launch the probe. As the probe enters the rift, Owosakun warns Pike that a temporal shockwave is headed straight for them. Pike initiates evasive maneuvers, but his transmission becomes choppy, then cuts out. Back on Discovery, the crew can't detect the shuttle on sensors and is getting no reading from its transponder. Detmer warns if they get any closer to the rift, Discovery could be destroyed. Saru informs the crew their mission has changed from one of research to one of rescue. Sucks! Tilly warns that the radiation from the anomaly will become lethal within five hours. Great! Saru speculates that time does not move in a linear fashion inside the anomaly, making it impossible to find Pike's shuttle, but also knows that based on the incident with Harry Mudd in Season 1, Episode 7, Stamets is protected from temporal distortions by the tardigrade DNA he introduced into his system. Meanwhile, Amanda brings Burnham to a nearby crypt. Inside, bearded, disheveled, and muttering to himself, Burnham finds Spock. Spock then begins reciting the numbers 8, 4, 1, 9, 4, 7. Amanda is adamant that Spock came to her for help and she would never turn him in. Indeed, under Federation law, she has no obligation to do so. And as the wife of the Vulcan ambassador, she can claim diplomatic immunity to protect him from extradition. Unless the ambassador objects, replies Sarek from behind them. Meanwhile, Pike tells Tyler to take the controls while he tries to get a bearing. Assuming Discovery was coming in after them, Pike instructs Tyler to release plasma from the nacelles to let them follow their trail. Back aboard Discovery, Stamets warns that beyond the Rift's event horizon, time would exist all at once, making finding the space bus like catching a grain of sand in a hurricane using a pair of tweezers. Meanwhile, Sarek confronts Amanda about her decisions. Amanda says she loves Sarek and Spock and reiterates her reading to him when he was a child and suffered Latak Terai. Burnham tells Sarek that Spock's condition is connected to the Red Angel and that she had not told Sarek of this because she wanted to make sure she could find Spock first. Sarek concedes Spock needs help, which is why Burnham must deliver him to Leland. Both Burnham and Amanda object to delivering him to Section 31, but Sarek is convinced the Federation desperately needs the knowledge Spock has and that outside of them, no one wants to see Spock healed more than Section 31. Sarek's voice quivers when he admits his fear of losing both of his children on the same day. Meanwhile, As the shuttle circles closer to the aperture, Tyler reports the plasma levels are down to 30% and the shields are down to 23%. He sarcastically remarks that Pike got what he came for, a dangerous mission with high stakes and the added bonus of taking Tyler down. Pike heatedly replies that he's trying to save them and that arguing was not helping, just as something collides with the shuttle. 
Pike recognizes it as the probe they launched earlier, which has received an upgrade in the form of squid-like metal tentacles that latch on to the shuttle. Meanwhile, Burnham rendezvous with Leland's ship and brings Spock aboard. Inside the ship's sickbay, Leland assures Burnham that Spock has received a sedative for the procedure he's about to undergo to attempt to repair Spock's neural impulses and that control would not proceed if there would be any risk. Leland asks if there's anything in his psychological makeup to help them. She remarks that he was brilliant, curious, but when he was a child, he suffered from latacteri, which Leland recognizes as being similar to dyslexia, a condition common on Earth, but not on Vulcan. Alone with Spock, Burnham thinks about the numbers he kept repeating. The sequence, she realizes, was backwards. Meanwhile, Reese detects the deuterium burst from Pike's space bus. Saru orders him to send the positions to Stamets in engineering, who uses them to calculate the shuttle's trajectory, not within 3D space, but through corresponding coordinates in the mycelial network. Tilly wonders if her fourth-dimensional math is wrong, as the burns seem to have taken place in different points in time. One week earlier, one the previous day, and one eight minutes into... The future! Stamets rushes out of the room, telling Tilly to follow him. Meanwhile... Tyler's scans show that some of the metals of the modified probe don't match any periodic table, and that atomic decay indicates the probe's core has aged 500 years, which means someone in... The future! Found the probe, modified it, and sent it back. I guess. Just then, the tentacles breach the space bus's hull, one of which wraps around Tyler. Recognizing he saw this earlier, Pike tells Tyler to hold still as he blasts off the end of the tentacle, which then rushes forward and impales itself into the space bus's controls, accessing its computer. Before Pike or Tyler can reach the probe, it releases an energy pulse that knocks them prone. Stamets materializes safely aboard the space bus, much to Pike's confusion. He reassures Pike he's from about 10 minutes in the future and would fly them out using the mycelial network. Owosakun detects the shuttle exiting the anomaly. Saru orders on screen, seeing the space bus with the attached probe. He orders yellow alert. Arium reports the probe is searching the computer at an incredibly high speed and that she'll try to lock it out. Ike replies they'll try to do the same. As Stamets tries to fly the space bus closer, power fails, and the shuttle begins to be pulled back into the rift. I've disabled the cameras for 60 seconds, so listen closely. Your instincts are correct, Michael. That machine is a memory extractor. It will destroy your brother's mind. Why should I believe you? Leland is just a puppet following orders. And I didn't think you want your brother's blood on your hands. So you're telling me this out of the goodness of your heart? No, the goodness of yours. I know so much more about you than you can imagine. But that's for another time. Right now, you're going to attack me, then rescue Spock, which is good for you. And that will make Leland look bad, which is good for me. Ten seconds, Michael. So, what will you do? <laughs> Trying to make it look good? <clears throat> Not that. Once more. Feeling. On the shuttle, Saru reports that they are unable to lock on with transporters and will lose them in the rift 
in 34 seconds. Pike asks Stamets if he can calculate transporter coordinates remotely, to which Stamets replies with a slightly confused, probably. While Tyler continues to bash at the tentacle, Pike initiates the shuttle's self-destruct, while Stamets sends the coordinates to Owosakun, who beams them out just as the shuttle explodes, taking the probe with it. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> as the space bus explodes, Ariam sees three flashing red lights in a sequence, which seem to have an effect on her. Saru asks if Pike, Tyler, and Stamets are aboard. She replies, they are. Great. Burnham storms into NCIA-93's sickbay, stuns the doctor with her phaser, returns Spock to consciousness, and escorts him to the shuttle bay. Giorgio fires, harmlessly, into Burnham's shoulder for the sake of the ruse, as she takes Spock aboard her space bus and escapes from the ship. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> Returning to Discovery's bridge, Pike expresses gratitude for the rescue, to which Tilly warns perhaps he shouldn't thank them yet. The shuttle explosion has released a time tsunami from the rift. Once they warp away, Pike and Tyler kiss and make up. Pike then asks Saru about the analysis of what the probe was looking for, to which Saru replied they were still trying to discern that. Pike reasons the modified probe was from the future, and so was the Red Angel. When Saru asks if he believed the Red Angel shared the probe's hostility, Pike mentions that Tyler had broached that possibility. In either case, Tyler adds, one thing is certain, they were in a fight for the future. On NCIA 93's bridge, Leland confronts Giorgio about letting Burnham escape and asks to know where she's taking Spock. Giorgio replies that he needed her to keep Burnham from finding out the truth, that Leland had been responsible for the death of Burnham's parents. She smugly tells him that he's no longer calling the shots before leaving the bridge. Meanwhile, Burnham looks to the computer and instructs it to analyze records based on the number sequence 749148. The computer soon finds a match, a planetary system at coordinates 749 mark 148, the planet from Star Trek's pilot episode, Talus 4. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, I hope that I'm not rambling too much, Todd. It's just you. Uh, I don't know something about the way you're you're doing this. The stuff you're talking about it does like every time you're talking, it's like sparking something in my brain. I'm like, wow, this is so weird. How much the NWA is like Star Trek now? <laughs> and it's, it's and I'm like, look, I don't know. It's so well, it's so weird. Like, the, start all spread the word. Spread the word, brother. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden i'm like just sitting here and I'm like dang i never thought of it this way and you're like explaining something and i'm like i've seen that before <laughs> and it's, uh, anyway so here off the bat now we have we've already discussed a little bit of what i will refer to as the a plot uh you know everybody dealing with burnham burnham trying to find spock but i want to take a second and analyze a couple things in the b plot this is stuff that's happened happening on discovery and it involves uh, the thing that you have voiced time and time again, um, time travel. So they find this sort of time rift and uh, Pike and Tyler get into a shuttle to get a probe closer to 
this time rift so that they can analyze it so they can try to find out more about the red angel how do you think this time travel issue in the b plot was handled did they do a decent job of kind of burying it in techno babble or is it nails on a chalkboard for you it, it it ends up somehow still all being nails on a chalkboard for me, but the <laughs> but but I will say this: out of everything I ever watch, uh, nothing seems to handle time travel better than Star Trek typically does. Uh, because Most of the time, yeah, they they seem to at least understand it's not like oh, hey, I'll just go back in time and change that. Like I just I just re- I just watched all the Superman movies and I watched like. Lois die in the first one and Superman flies around the world in reverse and moves time back and saves her. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes no sense. No, it should. If anything, that should have ripped the planet in half. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Besides the, the physics of it. And then it's just like, you're still Superman. You flew back in time to save Lois. Now you save Lois. So Lois never died. So why'd you fly back in time in the first place? Lois never died. And and it's like, there it is. (laughs) And now everything blows up and everyone dies. Congratulations, Superman. Instead of, you know, saving who you could, you destroyed the whole universe. But uh, at least with Star Trek, they they at least most, a lot of the times take it to another level where it gets at least on my level of philosophy on it. Right. And I'm like, all right, they're, they, they've thought a little about this and now it's beyond the amount that I'm going to think about it. So. Right. It it helps. It helps that they've got someone there on tap who, oh, what'd you do before this? Oh, you know, just I I worked in the physics department at NASA. Like, oh, okay. well, good thing you're here. (laughs) It's nice to to know that those folks at NASA have a decent retirement plan in the writer's room of Star Trek. (laughs) Star Trek has a history of like there's a temporal distortion that uh, substitutes for anything. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore they've at least that i think that's been established in like at least its next generation oh like, yeah that's been yeah. a thing people say there's a temporal <laughs> distortion and there's a you know now now i'm a werewolf i don't know it just, <laughs> it just or it, or the it other side of work or the other side of like computer noise uh yes Georgie, i need you to reverse the polarity you know but like a few seconds ago you know Jordy was talking to somebody going they think reversing the polarity fixes everything so help me one more person asks me to reverse the polarity i'm gonna lose my and then that little computer beat but goes off and says hi sir right away <laughs> there's there's literally i remember a next generation episode with like fraser crane at it where yes yes they there's a temporal <laughs> distortion and they end up in like his ship ends up 90 years in the future or something. Yeah, this, they do like know. this. It's a big time loop thing. And oh, yeah. Oh, that's. I do like that one, though. It's so fun. And, and again, the idea of it all hinging on data and the number three, you know, uh, spoilers for, well, spoilers for a television show that's, you know, almost four years old. Well, it's just to say um, that Discovery is not like this is this is canon for Star Trek. This is this is a thing. This is not something. Yeah. Star- I feel like online sometimes I look and there's a lot of hate for discovery and I don't get it. Like, yeah, I, mean, I don't get it. There's some crazy stuff. Sure. But there's always been crazy stuff in star Trek. Temporal distortions are not something like discovery just made up. 
Right. Okay, Alex Kurtzman <laughs> didn't just pull that out of his butthole and say like, oh, I'm going to do this. This has been a thing for, for yeah. as long as Star Trek's been around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so uh, it, it is kind of weird, especially when Stamets appears in the shuttle and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here to rescue you 10 minutes from now. <laughs> It, it, it is a little bit bonkers, but you know what? I, you know, like I said, they, they do a decent job of uh, handling a lot of the uh, techno babble to a degree where it gives it some credibility uh, enough that when he does pop in there, you're just like, Oh yeah, they figured that out. So yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> it's like these people are outside the timeline or something. Yeah. I, I've said time and time again with like JJ star Trek that like when mm-hmm. they, even that one, they at least like when Spock goes back, it breaks off the timeline. Your yep. regular Star Trek timeline still exists, but now we've started a new one. Yeah, and uh, and, they, and you're I like, felt- okay, <laughs> like this, yeah, this is fine. I don't have to answer any other questions about anything because this is a whole new timeline. Yep, and it, and it was explained so well. I I, re- I distinctly remember people being like really another alternate universe another time da, 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 da. i was like they did a pretty decent job of very concisely and clearly explaining like you know by entering the black hole you separated yourself from time you know whatever could have been is now changed it yada yada, yada. it's like we are in and aurora says it an alternate reality precisely like okay all right game set here we go <laughs> you know? yeah i mean that's all it, you got to do it makes it tougher when you go back and kill hitler and then you're like uh there was oh hitler died as a baby i killed him who's hitler why did you kill hit who why did you kill that baby like yeah it was, yeah you know like it, it messes you up but if you're on an alternate timeline that's perfectly fine i can also accept like what this seems to be doing is like they get outside they're not affected by the time mm-hmm it's it's weird it's still weird i could still get hung up a little but yeah and stamets is immune to time distortions because of the tardigrade dna like there's that whole element but yeah it's you know it's funny you know talking about going back in time and killing hitler like i mentioned earlier uh the wife and i are working our way through doctor who again oh i thought you were gonna say you're working on killing hitler (laughs) <laughs> that's that's <laughs> professional writer comedian as a side hustle i'm also i'm also a time mercenary uh no but like you know uh especially in the david Tennant um era of doctor who there's a lot of talk about well let's go back and kill hitler or let's do this let's do that and him or um uh mount vesuvius you know pompeii you know, all of those things. Well, can't you save these people? No, they all died. It's a, this is a fixed point in time. Right, and right. That the idea of certain things being fixed and other things being fluid, you know, it, the, the episode of with the weeping angels, like time travel is wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Like <laughs> you get you can a lot. at least respect that part of it. Like, yeah, it's, like it's yeah, weird. It, we don't get it totally. <laughs> We do know these fixed points, no matter what we do, this is going to happen. Like, well, this cause, is because if you think about it, if you have, if you have the ability to go back and kill all of these horrible, horrible people that have existed throughout time as babies, now you've created this legendary 
monster that for some reason shows up kills a baby and disappears like how terrifying is that <laughs> also side note i mean this uh, never mind i don't want to go down this rabbit hole but i was gonna say if you're killing hitler as a baby is hitler really like you know he never even became hitler now you just yeah. killed a baby also it's a whole other weird thing i don't know i don't yeah this is about I mean... the rabbit hole you wanted to go down no, because let's say you get caught. You're you're this time agent going back and killing history's worst people as they, you know, in their infancy. How do you explain that if you get caught? Well, they're going to be terrible in the future. Well, how do you know that? Well, I'm a time traveler. Okay, let's go ahead and burn them at the stake. Like, what? <laughs> what? There's Nobody's no going to buy that. Here? Like, yeah. yeah. Is, <laughs> it's 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 weird man but i you know i was thinking as you said this or like stamets like he's the he's the real this episode could almost work decently as a standalone if i feel like people would be thrown off by some of the subplot like they go a little too much into the subplot that like like the stamets thing that just randomly would appear as like a uh what's the words uh do do ex machina you know like that he could just oh "Oh, you're immune you could just appear i mean they've established this but you need the context of the rest of the show to know all of that you know right right you know uh i i feel like you know again again we even get this weird time thing of like they send the probe out the probe comes back and it is radically different like it's kind of this squid thing now that is attacking the the shuttle and it's just kind of it was gone for a few minutes no it was gone for like 500 years (laughs) like well who sent it back we don't know um yeah so let's jump back into the a plot for a second because i want to discuss a little bit more uh another level of trust and talking about this thing of trust uh we see burnham show back up on vulcan to her adopted parents you know um amanda and sarek and you know we just briefly talked about killing babies uh (laughs) there's this one element of them trusting this one child to a point and then there's this element of betrayal of trust between the mother and father in order to protect the other child spock you know looking at this and you know having parents yourself uh was there ever um well, mom said I could do this thing if it's okay with you, or dad said I could do this if it, you know, it, you know, did you ever, did you ever play your parents off of each other to try to get, to try to get your own way with this sort of thing? I feel like that's like a rite of passage. Like, I feel like you, <laughs> at, so, at some point, like that you, is, that is a God given right of every child <laughs> to play their parents against each other. <laughs> if it's not working this route, you try the other route. And then it's, it's uh yeah i i yeah definitely i mean i think i've i've 100% my parents divorced fairly early on in my childhood and it was like mm. a whole thing for me but then you know my dad would want to do these certain things and then my mom wouldn't want to let me do these certain things or vice versa and so yeah you you get to have a little fun with that i i don't think i was having fun i think it was miserable at the time but i look back <laughs> on it now and i'm like uh this is okay but this was tough too because like I I had a hard time not just looking at Sarek as a butthead in some of this because he seems 
And, and mostly because even if you think he has, and I think as the story plays, you'll come to respect him more. He seems real easy to give up Spock to Section 31. And it's just like, eh, there's nothing on Vulcan. We'll give it to these guys. And it's like, wow, really? Sarek? <laughs> it's like, you're just like trusting this other thing? Yeah, what I thought was very interesting was the relationship that Burnham has with Amanda, because Amanda was not, I mean, she quite literally says it in the episode, uh, and I'll paraphrase here, but like she wasn't allowed to love Spock the way a human mother would. So when they, you know, when Burnham came into their lives, uh, she was able to give all of that love and affection to, to Burnham. Now, when Spock is in need, now she's sort of taking that trust and sort of, you know, bending that relationship to fit her needs. And even in betraying Sarek, you know, she led Sarek to believe that Spock was somewhere else, you know, but it, it was all it was all to fit her means of protecting her son for the first time. So, you know, but at the end of the day, at the end of this scene, we get Sarek, you know pleading to Burnham saying, look, I can't lose both kids. <laughs> Whatever happens, I can't lose both of you. <laughs> Please don't make me lose both of you. Um, yeah. So, and again, but again, you know, Amanda doing what she feels is right. Uh, you know, Sarek trying to figure out and do the right thing as well, but with the lack of communication, uh, look, we're, we're both married men. I, I think you'd probably agree most relationships, uh, communication, it is the key to a solid relationship. I've uh, never had a fight with my wife over anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're going to shift to a new segment of relationship <laughs> advice with Gary, please enlighten right, us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think you were on the right track. Communication is key and we'll all fall short. I don't know if we'll fall as short as Sarek and Amanda, but we'll we'll fall short. Yeah. Uh, the, the, this is a weird situation they found themselves in. Also, I think, uh, did she want to be found? I feel like there was a lot of buildup to the search for Spock, and then it was just kind of like, oh, he's right here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> he was here the whole time. <laughs> he's, he's like, he was like one basement. of those, <laughs> like one of those sliding closet doors. It just kind of like, here he is. <laughs> oh, there, he's over there. Uh, oh, he's in there. <laughs> Uh, he's in the I back. forgot. He's I just remembered the... where I put my keys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem like ah, he's hanging out in the back bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a little weird. And at the same time, like I'm fascinated by the um, I'm fascinated by the dynamics of the of these characters in this very deep relationship, uh, you know, Spock being the product you know, uh, being uh, a child of two worlds uh, and Burnham being adopted into this family creates another sp specific dynamic, uh, let alone all of the cultural things involved in trying to raise two very different children. Um, it, it's, it's weird. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, any, any other thoughts about this level of trust and betrayal like have you i you know without without giving away the farm maybe this is not the best question as we're you know talking about a lot of nwa stuff but have you ever seen where like 
someone had a chance to do something great and it they just fell short and they felt like they betrayed everybody. I'll I'll put myself out there. Like when uh when I went to work in law enforcement, uh after I you know worked a couple years at our local county jail, I was able to get a job going to the city police and I was super excited about it. You know, when I was a little kid and they asked, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" I knew you know, I kind of knew, okay, Batman that's out. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, that's not on the job listing. But I thought like the closest thing was being a police officer. And so I got to that point where, hey, they swore me in. I went to the academy and got on the job and the whole thing. And it very quickly was revealed that this job was not what I had thought it was. And things, uh, you know, some of, you know, some of it, it was a lot of my misconceptions about what was required of me to effectively do that job. And I know that I had called in a couple favors to get that job. You know, it's, it's no secret there, you know, you need somebody to take your resume to somebody else and say, it's this person. And that's, that's across the board that, you know, that's not exclusive to law enforcement, but I had called in a few favors. And when the situation was kind of crumbling around me, one of the things I felt was this big level of shame and regret that I had let all these people down that I, there was a level of, Oh, I have, I've betrayed their trust and I fell short. And that was, that was really, really hard for me to uh, accept, deal with and move on from. And there's times where I still, you know, it still rears its ugly head as it were. And I think about it, but then I'm reminded of all the stuff I'm doing now. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a chapter in my past that I feel like I've learned a lot from and have grown from it. Uh, is there anything that you can relate to in terms of, you know, that level of trust, you know, Burnham's Burnham got clearance from Pike to go back and do this thing. You know, Pike is trusting her. Giorgio trusts Burnham to take the information and do what she needs to do with it. Um, you know, Tyler, to a degree within his uh within his duties as a section 31 officer knows believes and trusts in in burnham as well uh have you ever had have you ever seen this where like trust has been you know there's been disappointment because of trust and it was and it was broken or you know if there's something from your life that you can relate to great if there's something you know on the professional level uh, you know, as does any of this speak to any of your uh, experience? You know, the first thing that comes, I, listen, if we're talking about me, I have failed so many times. So <laughs> I have a steady failure. And uh, but like you said, you think about what you're doing now and you're like, wow, hell, none of this would have happened if I didn't get there. You know, like if I if I didn't, if this other thing hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. So you always have to keep that in mind. Yeah, I'll say uh, I I do I do remember since all I'm doing today is relating to wrestling. I do remember a recent example of uh, I mean this is probably um, I would say we're at like seven or eight months now, so I'm, I'm holding them to this. But uh, there was a time when I, I won't name names so that I don't like out anybody here, but there was a time where we had a new champion and. Uh, the champion's job was to go out there and they needed him to like, he had just 
gotten the title at the pay-per-view, so he needed to go out the next night on the show we were doing in front of the crowd, and he was going to set up an angle where somebody was going to come challenge him, basically. And uh, it would be like a good, like, oh, you're the champion now, and he'd get to beat somebody else, basically, to like, this is why I'm the champion. I'm this badass guy. Well, the guy they picked was a younger guy on the roster. And they were like, listen, champ's going to go out here and he's going to just address the crowd. And uh, we want, can we get you, this is a good opportunity for you. Can you go out there and talk some crap to the champ so that he's like, if you don't like what I'm doing, let's fight about it. And then you guys will have a match and it'll go great. And like, you know, you're going to lose, but this is a good opportunity for you to step up into a role that's going to be on screen and yeah. like you being moving the pl- moving the plot forward you get opportunities this is our person who's doing this thing yeah the pieces come yeah. together and so i watched this guy get addressed by pat kenny who i mentioned earlier to like this is what i want to see from you you need to just go out there hit these points okay but otherwise deal with your agent and so then he deals with the agent and then the agent's like okay so I think you should say it this way. Like, let's let's work on this. Then we'll get to. Then you're gonna do this thing, and he's gonna do this thing. Blah blah blah. So they work it all out, and everybody. Are you sure you got it? You sure you got it? Yes, yes. Oh no, I'm ready. I want this opportunity. I am ready. And the guy goes out there and proceeds to like accidentally say the champ's name wrong, uh, references the wrong belt. Uh, (laughs) It's like. And this is in front of a live crowd. Yep. (laughs) And so everything else goes appropriately. But by the time they get to the back and the champ, I only saw all this because we had been talking. He's like, we're going to do an interview later. I got this one thing at the start of the night and then the rest of my day's off. Like, you know, like this is all I'm doing. Yeah. But everybody gets to the back and they're like, what was that? Like, who? (laughs) what did you just say? (laughs) <laughs> what is, who who none of what we just discussed did you just do and, <laughs> and this guy this younger guy was just like oh, oh did i do that i don't know he didn't even realize oh. what he'd done and oh uh, no but so anyway because it's in front of a live crowd they needed this for tv like they needed this for you know like we got to do something so the champ appears on television also, we're recording yeah. this for TV, and uh, you've just screwed this up. <laughs> and so, and we can't just go do it again because you just had a live crowd out yep. there watching it. And now we're going to just redo it and expect them to just react the same way as they just did. And like, to like, oh, I just decided to do this again. <laughs> and and uh, so, anyway, basically, I, they, they, they ended up. Everything had to be moved moved to the end of the night. And uh, so it was like the show's over. The crowd leaves. We're like, we got to play this angle out to record it in front of no crowd. Like, oh, this is no. just. So then it becomes like the champ is just doing something about like donating to food banks for some like commercial he wants to shoot. Yeah. And the guy comes out and they try again. And it works out. I mean, it happens and all that but i remember sitting in the production area with billy and him just being like facepalm you know like oh my god what is this guy doing 
Oh no. What is happening here? <laughs> he swore to me. He swore to me he had this. And uh and and, and I'm not sure it's the it's the most amazing example, but I remember him being like people being like, Are you done with this guy? And he's like, No, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm not done with this guy, but it'll be a year and a half before he gets a mic in his hand again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's oh, gonna just no. take what I feed him. Yeah. For a while. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> there's only so. I mean, the spin machine only gets you so far. There's only so many ways you can spin that type of thing of like trying. I it makes me think of. I remember uh, Chris Jericho and his first interaction with Santino Morella and him getting the way they played it was Chris Jericho's like, oh, you know, because Chris Jericho's Chris Jericho. He's been around for a long time, and Santino was fairly new at the time. And they were playing off of, you know, Chris Jericho kept saying his name wrong and they had this back and forth. And I was just like, oh, you only you only get away with that once a blue moon, man. And maybe not even then, you know. So and again, I think because Santino is so immersed in that character, being that character and Chris with his background in, uh, you know, broadcasting journalism and working in the wrestling industry for as long as he has in so many different uh, aspects as he has, you got two professionals who are just, you know, they're just, they're working the crowd. It looks like they're working each other. They're working the crowd. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, you get somebody out there who's still wet behind the ears as it were, and just pumped up and excited and they go out and just everything that's in their head is gone. Uh, You know, I've blanked, I've blanked it at shows at, you know, professional comedy gigs where I've had to take a step back and be like, I forgot my next bit. So what do you guys want to do? (laughs) You try to play it off and hopefully you get back on track, but yeah, once gosh, once you're in it and people are looking at you and the microphones in your hand, like do something. (laughs) It's a, it's a whole other world, man. It's, it's, it's like, what's your in front of people. It really is. And, and so like to, to, star trek like you know in the show wise story wise you're talking about life or death situations so you got to think that it's even a bigger deal to put your trust in somebody to manage a situation you know oh yeah handle it you know and so i i think also it would be good for people to remember that it's easy for you to trust burnham because you're like oh main character energy this is that that person of course (laughs) like but Pike doesn't know that. Yeah, like, yeah. Pike doesn't know that, that she's the that she's the main character of a TV show, <laughs> right? So you got to think Pike's a dude who's been doing this for a long, long time at this point, and he's like, "Why do I trust this hothead?" It's got to he's got to come to a certain point that he's like, "Okay, I can trust you to get this done," you know? And yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's going back. Going back to uh, going back to into wrestling a little bit, and I will tie this to to Star Trek. But you know, at one point before you know uh, the proverbial uh, poop hits the fan, we've got this moment where Pike and Tyler are sitting in the shuttle, flying the thing, and Pike is not happy with Tyler, and Tyler's just kind of trying to hang on and do what he's got to. He's trying. He's trying to do his job too. But there's that level of trust again, and they end up having to force through it and work through it. Uh, I remember an episode of Glow, which you've seen Glow, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it's a it, lot of lo, love. Glow. It's a one. It was a wonderful show. It broke my heart when it ended the way it did. But anyways, there's an episode in there where uh, Debbie is still trying to learn the ropes, uh, quite literally, and uh, actually goes to a match and meets with the face backstage, who explains like you know how it all works and you know working with the heel. He's like, oh yeah, we're not friends. <laughs> He's got a job to do. I've got a job to do. We know our roles. We do our jobs. Um, You know, it seems like this art, and it is an art, wrestling, is so dependent on the character interactions. You know, you talk about different programs, you know, legendary programs of like, you know, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair and even stuff more recent of like, I was super into the edge and John Cena, you know, back and forth, that whole thing. There, yeah. uh, there's, there's tons of them. There's tons of them throughout history, but you know, have you seen where there's this great, there's this great chemistry on screen and then, you know, the cameras stop and it's just kind of like, all right, all right. good to see you. Take care. Bye. <laughs> have you seen oh that? i mean i i could think of uh, one right off the bat that comes to my brain is like and i have seen it in uh in our locker room too that they're i mean yeah there there are people that are not best friends that are going out there and they're just like oh, I'm, I'm just doing my job right <laughs> and i'm not asking for names i'm just you know but i don't want to well, break but, but since <laughs> this is a very this was a very public uh situation like at the birth of like the real online the internet wrestling community, the IWC, uh, when yeah. this all happened, uh, but and, and you might even remember some of this, but Matt Hardy was dating Lita, and they were a, a well-known couple. Mm-hmm. They were uh, two wrestlers, and uh, Matt Hardy and his brother Jeff were the Hardy Boys. They had Lita. They were Team Extreme. Matt and Lita were a couple. And this was a well-known fact in and outside of the ring. They were a couple. And then Matt had gotten injured. He was gone for a while. Somewhere during the time, Lita and this other wrestler named Edge became a thing. And it was a secret, quote-unquote, thing. And somehow, uh, I don't remember all the specific details, but Matt basically found this and aired that grievance online and so this was like one of i feel like this is one of the first big ones like open online was that you know this happened and matt called her out on it that she had cheated with edge and there was that whole thing and there was this big blow up and people hated matt and people hated lita i mean i think i think at the time because we had not even evolved it to a certain point that like a lot of i think a lot of it went into like uh shaming lita and uh it it anyway somewhere along the way then there was like issues and they fired matt for a minute and uh the fan demand was like this is injustice and like they would chant matt hardy's name anytime edge or lito were in the ring and like uh, they would like they would like it happened every time and to the point where the company WWE hired Matt back, and then all anybody wanted to see was Matt and Edge. Yeah, and and it was like those two guys. Like eventually, there was a match. Edge was in it, and Matt Hardy busts in the ring and starts beating the hell out of Edge, and then it leads up to a match at a pay per view. They're gonna fight and all that stuff. It's a work, 
that's what we call it like it's yep. it's a it's a work like they knew going into this i don't think they were best friends anymore <laughs> doesn't know? seem like it no <laughs> but they were professional they were like this is what's best for business this yeah. is getting us both paid we're getting on the pay-per-view we're getting we have the hottest thing going in wrestling right now yeah is us two beating the crap out of each other <laughs> and uh but I guarantee you they didn't leave the ring and were like, oh, great, brother. I love you so much. This was the best day of my life. No, they, those two guys were not. I don't think they were probably ever best friends again. They were not cool with each other again. But they were also at the same time professional about when you go out there, we have a job to do and we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good example. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, more thoughts about this episode before we move on into the stats? Uh, I would give a props to Ethan Peck, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time he actually is Spock on screen. Yeah. And, uh, those are big shoes to step into. And that's a uh, good, you know, I, I, I was skeptical also, but, but yeah, job. yeah, he did a great job. This I'm kind of skipping down into this, but yeah, for folks who are keeping track, this is Ethan Peck's first filmed appearance as Spock. Now he previously did voiceover for um Brother, which was season 2 episode 1 and New Eden, which was season 2 episode 2, while his first appearance in the chronology was actually Short Trek's Q&A. And that was a really fun episode where he gets stuck in a turbo lift with number 1 and they have a back and forth. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So um you know, like we said, we've talked about a lot of people going through a lot of stuff in this episode. Uh, but as we do every week, lovingly, we always ask the question, who do we blame? Uh, this story was written by Ted Sullivan and Vaughn Wilmot. Now, Wilmot's last work was uh, season two, episode two, New Eden. Uh, he worked on the teleplay uh, with uh, Sean Cochran. And we discussed that episode with Ian Ramsey, a.k.a. Star Wrecked, on episode 103. Have you, you're a big music guy, Gary. Have you, is Star Wrecked on your radar at all? Have you seen any of his stuff on YouTube? I don't think so. No. The way, the way I've been describing him to people, and Ian hasn't told me not to do this, so I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, he is, he is the Weird Al of the Star Trek universe. Like, he's, okay. he is, he is cranking out those, take a pop song. And Star Trekify it, and that's that's what you get for me and Ramsey. Okay, um, All right. yeah, he is Star Wrecked on uh, on YouTube, so check that out. And then uh, you know Ted Sullivan, his last work was uh, the first episode of this season, uh, season two, episode one, Brother. That was uh, written by him along with uh, Berg and Harberts. Uh, we discussed that episode with Star Trek superfan Kevin Hebenstreit back on episode 102. Uh, he also, uh, Ted Sullivan also penned the teleplay for this episode. Now, this was directed by Marta Cunningham, who graduated from Georgetown University. Her first credit was one episode of the short-lived Running the Halls in 1993. Uh, she followed that up with Tyson, a TV movie in 1995. Uh, in the role of Lisa, and she starred in that alongside Star Trek alum Paul Winfield as the infamous fight promoter Don King. And Marta worked steadily through the late 90s and into the early 2000s. And then there's a 10-year there's a gap in her resume. 
But in 2004, Marta married actor James Frain, a.k.a. Sarek from Star Trek Discovery. And they eventually had two children. And in 2013, would see Marta's directorial debut uh, that she also produced, Valentine Road, and this true crime documentary of the murder of 8th grader Lawrence King by his classmate Brandon McIrney went on to win awards at film festivals in Miami, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Atlanta, the UK, Tel Aviv, and Madrid. Uh, so yeah, she got some uh, some heavy traction with that one. Uh, but this opened the door for her to continue directing TV, including episodes of Pretty Little Liars, Transparent, Room 104, How to Get Away with Murder, and You. Uh, but this is her only work in the franchise so far. Uh, after this, Marta helmed episodes of Fear the Walking Dead and Dear White People before writing and directing an episode of both Cinema Toast and Modern Love. And recently, she's directed six episodes of Chivalry. So, uh, yeah, that's that's her work uh, in terms of guest stars. It's a bunch of familiar faces, but I'll give you all the rundown returning. We've got Shazad Latif as Tyler, Anson Mount as Pike, Michelle Yeoh as Giorgio, James Frain as Sarek, Mia Kirshner as Amanda. Of course, we mentioned Ethan Peck as Spock, and we've got Alan Van Sprang as Leland. And one other note here uh, before we move on. So Burnham mentions that Spock's shuttle disappeared in the Mutara sector. The sector's Mutara Nebula is where Spock dies 28 years after the events of this episode in Wrath of Khan. So that's kind of how it all connects there. Oh, interesting. Uh, I would say also, you know, Pike, uh, there, there's the the real lead into, um, there's the mention of Talos Four in this. So we're oh, going to yeah. get into that. I, I think it's going to go into it and the next episode probably that seems to be where they're headed but talos yeah. for for if you're fans of the original series uh that's going to be uh, uh, pike's going to vacation there uh yeah. according to <laughs> the original series so yeah i've already started putting my notes together for that episode and um you know we actually covered uh the pilot episode the cage uh, a while back with a comic book uh writer and illustrator brian denham from antarctic press and uh yeah the cage is so much fun to watch and to be honest i kind of want to go back and watch the cage juxtaposed with the next episode if memory serves it's the that's the title if memory serves so i kind of want to watch those back to back because i've already seen in the notes where they make a couple of interesting comparisons and there's a couple of callbacks directly to that episode the cage so it's uh, that one's going to be fun. So make sure you're here for that. Um, so, Gary, let me ask you the question that we ask everybody um, each each time we look at one of these episodes. Is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and working their way through the Star Trek franchise for the first time and they come to this episode, is this one they can skip or is this a must see episode? I given the fact this is the first that will appear, it's like a you know, like series wise of Spock, uh, I, I'd have to say it's essential. Like uh, this is Spock intertwining officially. It feels like with the red angel story. And so like, especially if you're watching discovery and trying to get through it, this feels like a key point in the story. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. It, you know, besides the fact that we're kind of in this 
you know, this search for Spock and this mystery with the Red Angel, uh, you know, for lifelong fans of the franchise, for first time fans of the franchise, the character of Spock is one that is woven throughout, you know, uh, all of throughout the entire franchise. You know, a lot of people like to point at the captains, but at the end of the day, hell, Sarek was in uh, was in Enterprise. So if you're following like the Spock family tree, like you kind of get some of it throughout the entire franchise. And this with the first on screen, uh, you know, with this being the first filmed appearance of Ethan Peck as Spock, this is pretty pivotal all the rest of the plot and narrative aside if you're a fan this is definitely definitely a must-see episode well gary thank you so much for uh joining me today carving out the time i know you're super busy uh do you have any parting thoughts uh before we go part you know thoughts on the episode the franchise uh the comparison of the franchise to the nwa uh any parting thoughts before we wrap it up uh, I, I hope that someday the National Wrestling Alliance is as successful as Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, this is great. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to come back anytime. I'm glad we worked it out so that I could be here. And uh, I love Discovery. And I think if uh, if you're for some reason watching this and you're 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 like just going along with Todd's episodes here, Discovery is well worth it. It's uh, it's only going to get more bat bleep crazy. At the end of this season. And so it's it's a lot of fun and uh it's worth sticking around for. And I love the host you've become, Todd. This has been great. This has been a this has been a blast. Thanks so much, buddy. Well, folks, I can't just have one of my co-hosts from Cinema Shock and not have the other. Next week, we will be joined by film historian, food and beverage connoisseur, and self-therapizing Lego builder Justin Bishop to discuss Discovery Season 2, Episode 8, If Memory Serves, which is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Gary, where can people find the things that you are working on and support what you've got going on? I thought of Justin, by the way, uh, when I was watching this, because I think he's been waiting. I think he even texted us one time in the group chat about, like, is something going to ever happen with this Commander Arium uh and <laughs> something seems to be happening with with Ariam at this oh, point yeah. like he he loved the look of her so i uh or oh, he's or he's in robot. for a, he's in for a surprise <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think you get the hint of that here so anyway i am uh at tipw show on all the social medias uh, that's my uh wrestling podcast this is pro wrestling on youtube at this is pro wrestling um, you can follow the National Wrestling Alliance, which I hope you'll all support at NWA everywhere, even youtube.com slash at NWA. All the shows that I've been talking about, all the wrestling and all the regular serial things that are happening with the NWA are there on YouTube for you to watch for free. It's easy to dive into. And if you need help on essential viewing there, I'm more than happy to uh, assist you. I am at this is Gary Horn on everything. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 Forward.
support us on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at computerresume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?